Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott, and it's a special edition of Closer Look. Today's program is all about researching and discovering one's ancestry. You share ancestry with the crew people living in the country of Liberia today. Really? Yes. <laughs> now that's what I learned some years ago through African Ancestry, which helps people of African descent trace their ancestral roots back to a specific present-day African country or tribe or ethnic group. Now today I'll be joined by Georgia State Professor Elizabeth West about her new book, Finding Francis, One Family's Journey from Slavery to Freedom, plus researcher and scholar Althea Sumter, and also how the 1950 census, now available online and free, might help some of y'all get started on researching the family history. And whatever you find out is not my fault, but we're going to talk all about that. Those conversations are coming up, but we'll begin with this. Through an internal investigation, Georgia's Inspector General alleges nearly 300 full-time state employees illegally received close to $7 million in federal pandemic unemployment benefits. Now, this story was first reported by WSB-TV, and the state audit alleges employees stole or might have stole an average of $23,700 per person. Inspector General Scott McAfee says those numbers are a conservative estimate and the audit did not account for part-time employees. Officials say dozens of employees have already been fired from the top down, including a Department of Labor manager and Department of Human Services supervisor. We'll have more on this coming up. On another edition of Closer Look. In other news, Georgia's gas tax suspension is scheduled to end next week as we hear from Raul Bali on what to expect at the pump. In Georgia, motor fuel taxes are not paid to the state by your local gas station, but by fuel distributors. Starting Wednesday, those suppliers and wholesalers will begin charging motor fuel taxes again. Angela Holland with the Georgia Association of Convenience Stores says that's why prices will go up over a period of a few days next week. Fuel wholesalers are delivering gas every day. And so depending on how quickly station needs gas, you'll see that go into place almost immediate in some locations. And in some locations, it'll take a day or so. Motor fuel taxes are going up two cents a gallon to 31 cents a gallon for unleaded and 35 cents a gallon for diesel. Raul Bally, WABE News. A new program is slated to open in Atlanta later this year, offering an alternative to arrest for those low-level and non-violent offenses, as we hear from Jess Mador. Under a deal with the city and Fulton County, Grady Health System will head operations at the new Center for Diversion and Services. It'll be located at the Atlanta City Detention Center and will be open 24 hours a day to help people experiencing homelessness, addiction, poverty, and mental health issues who might otherwise end up in jail. City officials say the center will help address the root causes of minor offenses by offering prevention services under one roof. They include non-emergency medical care, behavioral health assessments and referrals, and transportation to off-site treatment. The nearly $3 million Center for Diversion and Services has been in the works for several years. An opening date has yet to be announced. Jess Mador, WABE News. And finally, it's a bummer, but there will be no tailgating allowed for Monday's college football championship game between UGA and TCU. No? Well, that's because the uppity folks out there who operate SoFi Stadium out there in L.A. have made it clear (laughs) tailgating will not be allowed on any side in any parking lot prior to the game. And get this, no RVs will be allowed to park as well. Come on, y'all. As you can imagine, social media was not kind to this policy. Here's one. 
Quote, the city of L.A. should be banned from having any more college football playoff games because of this. Close quote. My favorite is this one. Is it really a college football game without tailgating? I agree with that. You're listening to Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. And you're listening to Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. This week, a new season of the very popular PBS program, Finding Your Roots, begins. And, of course, it can be found right here at WABE-TV. It's hosted by Professor Henry Louis Gates, Jr. Now, here at WABE in the past, we've partnered with Ancestry.com as well as African Ancestry in discussing all things genealogy. And back in 2018, I had a conversation with Dr. Gina Page of African Ancestry. Now, here's a clip explaining how they trace maternal and paternal lineages of African descent. And I know you can walk us through a little bit of the science part of this because people, they, they ask for a kit, they get the kit, um, you swab, mm-hmm. and then we send it back to you. Mm-hmm. And you can use that yep. because of a database you've been collecting already? Yeah, so almost 20 years ago now, more than 20 years ago now, uh, Dr. Kittles collected a database of indigenous African lineages from all over the continent of Africa. He collaborated with researchers on the continent to collect genetics from populations that contributed to the transatlantic slave trade. So the database we've compiled is the largest in the world. It has over 33,000 lineages, and that's our base. Mm -hmm. And so when you sent your swabs back, we, what I like to say, unlocked the code of DNA that you inherited just from your mother. We didn't look at all of your DNA. We mm-hmm. just looked at this little tiny piece that you got from your mother. She got from her mother. She got from her mother. It didn't change. And we compare that DNA. I wish you all could see her face right now. <laughs> I'm, 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 look, I believe in being transparent and authentic. I'm, I'm a little emotional here. because yeah, I, I see it. As I, I shared it. before we came on the air, I don't know much about Yeah. You know, so even though you don't know much about your mother's side of the family, they you got your DNA from them and it hasn't changed regardless of all of the other people in your family tree. And so we compare that code to the codes in our database and look for matches. And so I participated and and here's what I found. So, um, Rose, we found, again, we looked specifically at one branch of your tree, Mm -hmm. and we found it on the coast of West Africa in a country that is on the southeastern part of the country. The people that you share ancestry with are known as as seafarers, coastal people that worked with in on the water, you know, in the water, on the water, were do, were um, migrants too because they were right there on the water. They traveled to other countries and areas on the continent of Africa. Um, the first female president of this country, uh, you share ancestry with her ethnic group. Shut I am up. very happy and pleased and honored to tell you that you share ancestry with the crew people living in the country of Liberia today. Really? Yes. And I can't swim a lick. But anyway, as we begin today's special, I got to tell you, that was that I still get a little choked up because that was just it was it was unbelievable. As we begin today's special, I want to now welcome Althea Sumter. She's a researcher and scholar who focuses on ethnographic documentation and cultural preservation of the Southern story in the United States. And you hear her own story and connection to the Gullah Geechee culture and her historical connection to the story of Reconstruction era in Beaufort County, South Carolina. Welcome to the program. Thank you. And it is so interesting to hear about your relationship to the continent of Africa. Yeah. Uh, I was waiting to hear <laughs> what ethnic group she was saying. I had I had no idea. You know, I don't know much about my 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 mother's side, my biological mother's side. And so 
when we did this. And I want to be I want to be very, very clear. You know, I was like, eh, I don't know. Is this can they really? Um, but the more and more that and this has become so I won't say popular, but it's important. And so as you begin to tell your story, just through your reflection, what you want folks to know about whatever you can do to research and trace your ancestry, that it goes beyond just, you know, discovering bloodlines or whatever, but from a cultural standpoint, what this means to to your family. I grew up in that culture on the coast in South Carolina. St. Helena Island, South Carolina is home. And I grew up with culture shame. I mean, every time I say that, people are saying, what do you what do you mean? I mean, now that Gullah Geechee culture is such a fad, mm-hmm. um, we were laughed at and jeered at and, you know, all of the horrible, ugly things, including from black people in town and such, because we were those strange people on the islands and, you know, those hoodoo people and 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 our language is strange. And and I grew up um, with a. Um, uh, being able to code switch, you know, being able mm-hmm. to speak within the family language, and uh, and then also being able to speak what at that time would have been the um, uh, we call it uh, the King's English, mm-hmm. you know, New England English. People thought that I was from New England, and I went, no, I'm from South Carolina on the islands. It's like there's no way that you are from there, and and it was the ability to to speak within the language structure that I'm talking to, like right now at this moment in time. And uh, now, and, wow! And now, now, now you're, you're giving uh, seminars and forums and workshops because people want to know more about who they are and where they come from. Yes, and that started with the uh, congressional law that was created in 2006, uh, thanks to Representative Clyburn, who, who's married, whose wife is, uh, you know, Gullah Geechee. And he was always trying to figure out, so who are these people? And now there is a Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor mm-hmm. from uh, Southern uh, North Carolina to Northern Florida, coast to 30 miles in. That was established. It's the only heritage area established by congressional law. I became a charter member on the commission mm-hmm. in uh, 2007 and remained on for quite some time and uh, helped to write the management plan and such. And in that, all of a sudden, this whole link, this confirmation that I have an origin place. I have a place I can point a finger to. And there's such a difference in terms of my behavior, going from culture shame to all of a sudden everybody wants to be my ethnic kin over in Sierra Leone. (laughs) Let me back up a little bit and ask you then, along with that cultural shame that you talked about. So I'm wondering, growing up, what did you hear from your elders? From What did they say about the family history, about who y'all were? Who your folk be, as my grandfather would say. Where your people from? Where your people from? Yeah. Uh, your people from where your mama from down on the island. Where are your people from on, on which we would actually still say plantation when mm-hmm. I was growing up in uh, during segregation and Jim Crow days. Yeah, yes, I'm a de- uh, desegregation kid in uh, elementary school. And, um, it, and, and it was you know, 1964 when Beaufort County started desegregation. But Mm -hmm. remember that uh, it wasn't until 1970 that forced integration Mm -hmm. took place. So the um, that was a period of time when before that, we just didn't deal so much in terms of going in town, going into Beaufort. We always maintained a certain behavior and decorum because it was dangerous otherwise, uh, not knowing how we would be treated. And so that was a matter of going back to the island. We're home, comfort, space. We have no idea about uh, our history or, or anything dealing with Gullah Geechee culture. We had no idea we were uh, uh, of a specific cultural identity. Was So knowing that, then where did you begin to unlock? Uh, yeah, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I see. I, I, I did really. And the thing is, I fell into all of this because I started into uh, documentaries. I wanted to to explore cultures 
And I've always wanted to explore cultures, you know, and I made that my own, what is it, uh, studies through through college and such and, mm-hmm. and creating documentaries and looking at other people and other cultural identities and, and identities and such. And the next thing I know, I kept running into people going, oh, you're from the islands. Oh, here's this book. Oh, you from the islands? Here's this book. And it turned out to be something about St. Helena Island, something about St. Helena Island. I could not get away from mm-hmm. this something about St. Helena Island. You know, I have a collection, massive collection of books now on all the now out of print books dealing with my culture. And and so the thing is that that next thing I know, I'm exploring my own home and my origin. And then People, uh, the in uh, um, the uh, the the president of Sierra Leone at that time, in 1988, uh, was told about the link by mm-hmm. a friend of mine uh, who was an anthropologist and lived in Sierra Leone. Uh, uh, Joel Paula uh, said there are people in this in South Carolina who are linked to you, and. He made a uh, uh, um, did a, a presidential visit to the United States and then to St. Helena Island, and people cried. He says, "I, I want to speak my own language, Creole, K R I O, the lingua franca of that area." And he says, "I hope everybody understands me." He says, "Yeah, we all understand you." There was a big festival and such, and and the same foods, and that was the beginning of it. And all of a sudden, I'm looking into myself. I'm looking into my own family, my own culture. Instead of looking outside of, I'm looking into into my family. And I started recording and documenting my own family. And they thought I was a bit, um, I always brought recorders and all of this. (laughs) (laughs) So someone listening saying, okay, Ms. Sumter, you're saying for, for someone listening, I should probably start with the elders in my family if possible. And then from there, you know, start, do you start looking at, to the, a little bit later, we're going to talk about the 1950 census, you know, do we start looking at as much documentation? Do you go to courthouses, you know, and, and what do you want folks to know about this journey? Because it's not, and as Professor West will tell you in, in, a, in, in a little bit later, it's not going to happen overnight. So people need to be patient, you know, and, and you may not get all the answers that you expect. So you're going to have to keep digging and digging and digging. It is very tedious work. Uh, I I guess it it helps that uh, one of my uh, jobs during uh, graduate school was uh, working at the South Carolina State Archives and Research and Genealogy Division, you know, as I'm working on a media degree. And and so here I have this experience uh, going through the documents i mean it, i mean it's so amazing to hold 1600s documents and such in your hands and here i am helping other people looking for their family primarily they were you know white and uh, i have these stories about you know them running into the word elm in their census and mm-hmm. uh finding out that that means mulatto <clears throat> so the uh the thing is that that i've figured out a lot of the materials already and I started looking and seeing that it's beyond the census. Mm-hmm. There are lots of materials and it starts in your own home. We all have collections of papers and documents and such. I became the person who started collecting and looking at every little piece of paper in my in my family's household. Mm-hmm. I have boxes of materials and I started tracing things and and, and and never say anything, oh, this old piece of paper. No, I found documents that go back into the 1800s. Really? Yes. What type of documents? Well, I did find a slave pass from right. 1830s, late 1830s. Um, and because, I, well, here's the other thing, is that family can be very tough. Yeah. And that all of a sudden everybody wanted to do a grab for the documents. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And um, my mother, you know, at the time I was uh, college age and she says, okay, give those documents up to the elder family members and Mm -hmm. such. And so that we can, you know, you know, keep the peace. And um, uh, some of those materials, uh, I mean, it's sad to say that uh, my my the elder of the family, uh, my my uncle, um, he did pass Mm -hmm. uh, from a house fire and the documents went with him. That's a story too on on my grandfather's side as well. A lot of lot of photos 
you know, folks are good. We turn the photo over and they write the date. They write who it is, Big John and, you know, and all that and where it was taken and, and it was lost. I want to take a break because we're going to take a shift. We're actually going to go to a, a segment about the 1950 census. Um, we'll continue with this special edition of Closer Look in just a moment. We're back. Hang with us. And this is Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. We're going to continue with this special edition of Closer Look as we talk about researching your own ancestry. Because coming up, a conversation with Georgia State Professor Elizabeth West on her new book, Finding Francis, One Family's Journey from Slavery to Freedom. And also we'll continue our conversation. We'll pick back up with Althea Sumter, who's a researcher and scholar. But first, I want to revisit another conversation that we had last year. This brings us to the 1950s, because in case you didn't know, did you know that when data is gathered for the U.S. Census, it stays private until 72 years later? Why? I don't know. But now, with the 1950s, the public records offer a new batch of family history to explore. And I had a conversation with Tammy Ozier. She's president of the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society's Metro Atlanta chapter. And she offered tips on how to start researching your own history in these census records. And be mindful of what you might find. Welcome, Tammy. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am good. We might so be cousins. To talk about that. We might be. You look, look alike. Yeah, you, I'm like, is that my cousin? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, when you start opening up them records from... <laughs> I know. You'd be amazed. <laughs> Let's talk about that because perhaps a listener is saying, well, what is the purpose? You know, why would someone want to dig back into the, the census of the 1950s? What would you tell them, Tammy? Yeah, I think the first thing is really about something that's fun. Really, you may be able to see people for the first time they are enumerated that you may know that are no longer here. Mm -hmm. You know, your parents, you know, for me, my parents, grandparents, or people I didn't know, like my great grandparents are actually um, on the census. So that's one of the, the first things. But, but obviously a lot of us, um, I wanna say um, family history um, historians, let me just put it that way, mm -hmm. are really anxious to, to get to know um, what, the 1950 census really show uh, um, about where we were. Now, kind of the 1950, just kind of think about the timeline. It was really, um, really the start of the um, of the of, of the modern day civil rights movement, mm -hmm. right? So now you can kind of see um, maybe where people were living. It's also um, a point where it is the highlight of migration of African Americans from the South. Mm -hmm. So really it's within that same period. Um, World War II um, had just ended about five years um, previous to this time period. So again, you're, you're starting to see what was the condition because it talks about this 1950 census talks about and gives information. If you're 14 years or older, did you work last week? Mm -hmm. um, was it full time? How many hours did you work? Um, it indicates if you're living on a farm, farm or not. Um, so just a lot of little tidbits that can really kind of get you into telling the story of your family. Now, let me ask you this. Have you been digging into that a little bit? I, I have. I do it every day. I was there when it first, when it was released. And I just wanted to just get a feel for uh, my family. My family is originally from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I grew up in, in California. So just imagine me as a young child living in Louisiana kind of seeing that little area. And then now, because I, I grew up in California, it's like, I still want to know and, and see those places. So and, the census really give me that sense. And I plan to do it as well because our roots are, well, our roots here in North America, as far as we know, um, are in Natchez and Shaw, Mississippi. And okay. then when I did the African ancestry, it took me to Liberia. So I got folk over there, too. So yeah. I'm trying to connect the dots between Liberia oh and Mississippi. So I'm sure somewhere in this census. But someone listening saying, OK, Tammy, this is great. Uh, how do I access these records? What shape are they in? How easy is it for someone to navigate? 
Tell them, tell them how to get through this. Yeah, okay. So there are two places. Well, there, there are three places. But um, I would first say you can go to familysearch.org. The, um, the records are there. And the records are actually on Ancestry.com. And I probably would say to go to Ancestry.com initially because they also have what's called a, a numerator finder. So you can see the enumerating district that your family may have been to try to pinpoint um, where your family is. Now, um, um, one of the things about this particular census is that this is the first um, census that we have a computer generated um, mm. index. So um, uh, um, Ancestry.com and Family Search have, they are collaborating. Ancestry um, use their computer magic, um, you know, artificial intelligence and um, OCR to create the, the initial um, index. So now what Family Search then has done or what they're doing, they are asking um, for volunteers to actually go in and review this computer generated index to make sure that it's available for all of us. Wow. Um, and, yeah, so it's actually, you know, this is the most records that, that has been available thus far. Um, as you may know, the, the um, census are released every 72 years. And um, so the last one was um, 1940. Um, it took, took a while for us to get searchable um, indexes. So this one is actually, we're going to probably see everything indexed really in a, a relatively short amount of time. And it's because of this collaboration and because the public is helping. And so to be clear for our listeners, we're talking about the 1950. 1950. Did I say something else? Yeah. Well, no, I just want to be clear because I don't want folks say, well, I was trying to find somebody. We're like, well, we didn't tell you that because they'll blame me and I'll get an email. But so we're talking about this was the 1950 census that was taken. That's correct. 1950 was just released April 1st. You know, if listeners are also interested in just getting a sense of even if they can't find information, we hope they can about their their family. But and I've seen some of these records to look at what information they collected then and what information they collect now. That's quite fascinating when you think about it. Yeah. So, you know, this is the thing. If you are on a journey to try to build and tell the story of your family, this is a great way to get information, to feed information into your family, right? So when we are doing um, family history or fam family genealogy, the first thing we want to do is um, kind of start with yourself. Where was I born? Mm -hmm. Who are my parents? Who are my siblings? And so now you you start seeing um, um, what are your parents' name, your names, your grandparents' names. So you can actually translate or actually use the census to supplement information that you may not know. Maybe that's an aunt that died before you were born and you can go onto the census and say, oh, there's an aunt. I, I didn't know her name or I didn't know her real name. And it's a, her real name is enumerated. So this is a way for you to start connecting and building the stories of your family. And, you know, Tammy, for for not just, you know, folks of, of, of African descent, but for so many people in trying to discover, you know, where their origins of their entire bloodline, um, you know, resides from in terms of around the world, you you can start here, starting here in, in the United States is such a big step. And for those who we know, who, we, you know, there's a large percentage of us who we know are descendants of the enslaved in this nation, it is really, really helpful, really helpful. Absolutely. This is what I would say here, you know, and, and you know what I, when I'm talking to people who are of African descent, when I'm when they want to start genealogy, I want to I want to first give them something to think about before they get started. Now, the thing I would say is that standard genealogy methodology applies to African-Americans. We are no different. We follow the rules, so, mm -hmm. so to speak. The other thing I would say is that you can find records for African-Americans. For some reason, we have the belief that there are no records that we're in or that, oh, well, we were enslaved. First of all, all of us weren't enslaved, but again, um, we there are records that you can find information about us. Mm -hmm. um, so that will be the, uh, the next thing. The other thing I would say is that there's a lot of records online 
everything is not online. Mm-hmm. You have to go local. Mm-hmm. Where was your family? What city were they in? What was the parish or what was the county? And you have to research locally. And the other thing for African-Americans specifically, there are some harsh facts a lot of times related to our history that you want to make sure that you're taking those breaks you need to to be able to deal mm-hmm. with some of the information that you uncover. And especially, especially mm-hmm. if you are able to locate records and you realize that a great, great, great was an enslaved person and they were... Yep labeled as property. Let's be really clear about that. That is actually documented in a lot of the archives. Mm-hmm. Got to be very, very clear about that. And very, that may be hard very, to take. Not maybe, hard. that's hard to take. It's hard to take. I have, um, I have four lines that I have traced to enslavement. And to find your, your ancestors in those documents, it's not fun. Uh, you know, you're you're not. It's good to find them, just to say to kind of see a part of them, but to see that they're being sold or they're being given as a gift and all of those things. That's why I'm saying you have to take mental mental breaks just to make sure you're dealing with that that particular trauma. But it's there, it's there, and and um, but it's not it's not always fun. And, or you might find out that you're related to I don't know Beyonce. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> that, um, Hey, Beyonce, my cousin six removed from my father's yeah. side. <laughs> See her family is her, her on her mother's side is from the same area that I'm from. So I, oh, 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 so now you related to Beyonce. I'm just saying, I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> there may be a connection there. <laughs> you heard it here. Tammy Ozier says she related to, to queen B. Oh, oh my God. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> It's on record now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before I let you go again for our listeners, you're suggesting that they go to the familysearch.org or yeah. the ancestry.com. Now it is one or I know with ancestry.com there could be a fee. With familysearch.org, is there a fee as well? No, family familysearch.org is always free. So that that's the good thing about it. And on and actually for ancestry.com, a lot of the records actually are free mm-hmm. so so you um and and right now and i'm not sure i'm, I'm a subscriber so I, i'm not sure but i believe the 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 um the information is free right now for on ancestry for the for the 1950 census but definitely for family search it's always free and for folks right now since we're talking about that 1950 census perhaps they can start with particularly if you have a, a certain age group let's just say your generation x you probably want your your mother or your grand or, or grandparents, your mom or dad or grandparents' name, maiden name for the mom, correct? If if married, right. and then the the city or, or state, and then that's a good starting point. That's a that's a great starting point. Sometimes you don't know your mother's maiden name, unfortunately. So maybe just just um one one tip may be who were her siblings, who were her parents, at least their first name. So if you know the area, the city that they were living in, and you know the approximate um, location, then maybe you're just looking at first names to try to say, oh, this is my mother. Her last name is Brown. I didn't know that. Her mate name is Brown. And it's because you were able to say, it's my mother, it's her sister, it's her brother, and I know that this is my family. So that's one way to to try to um, get down to the answer. And put in their real names on Put in there, Big Mama Jackson, because that ain't gonna show up. Because we all well, got a, we all got a Big Mama. I know it. Unfor- unfortunately, the sisters may have those nicknames. Real, all right, Big Mama Jackson. Oh, yeah, they may, Big Mama may actually be in the in the census record. And it's so, a yeah. great and it's a great family uh, event. It, the entire family can can get in on this. I, I just love it. Tammy Ozier is the president of the Afro American Historical and Genealogical Society's Metro Atlanta chapter. Thank you so much. Good information. A good family project. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you. Or cousin Tammy. Yeah, cousin. (laughs) Bye. Thank you. Take care. (music) 
And as we continue this special edition, talking about finding your own roots, I'm now joined by Professor Elizabeth West. Now, she is the John B. and Elena Diaz-Verson Amos Distinguished Chair in English Letters in the College of Arts and Sciences at Georgia State University. She's also an author with her latest, which is extremely personal. It's titled Finding Francis, One Family's Journey from Slavery to Freedom. Professor West, welcome. Hey there, Rose. And I'm also, we're still joined by Althea Sumter, who's a research and scholar as well, who's going to listen to what uh, this incredible story. I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I struggle with what is that first question I'm going to ask Professor West about this. And I struggle with it, so I don't have any questions, but I want to read something. Quote, Francis was the product of generations of enslaved people who had no immediate hope of freedom for themselves, but who had eyed the future, knowing that their generations would not, would not always be enslaved. That really, when I got to that part, it hit me because her story and what it means today for folks like you who are, you know, she's related to. What do you want folks to know before we get all into What do you want folks to know about Frances and who she was? That she was both extraordinary um, while at the same time uh, every day as far as representations of black women, um, you know, in her own time uh, and the generations who had been enslaved before her. That was probably the most profound thing to my mind in, um, you know, in my uncovering her because I didn't discover I, I uncovered that was going to be the second question I knew what my second question was going to be <laughs> because you didn't set out to find Francis you were focusing on some other members yeah the patriarch yeah. as a matter of fact which is why this story was a real um, you know turnaround for me uh, it came out of um, just a desire to kind of chart my family's uh, line from the known ancestor who was um, my grandfather's father, mm-hmm. Noah. Noah. Uh, and, and Noah's last name was? was Sistron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like the Noah in the Bible, he was pretty fruitful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he had uh, 16 children in his lifetime, 14, I think, who, 14. Mm-hmm. who, who lived um, to uh, adulthood. Tell me about Noah's father. Noah's father was Shadrach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as I say those names as we sit here now, I'm still astounded how, how, how you know, black people uh, from early on were very rooted in the Bible in terms mm-hmm. of naming. Uh, and that's a whole nother story, too, that has both Islamic and um, Christian um, roots. And who is Heinrich? And Heinrich... Because it all starts with Heinrich, in a sense. <laughs> I'm a little mad at Heinrich, but we don't, I'm going to let you tell the story. Yeah, because Heinrich is, in fact, uh, for the, the problem that he is, that he represents in the history of black and white relations in this country, um, he made it easy for me. In, in terms of the searching that I did. You know, for one thing, his, you know, he's an immigrant who uh, arrives at the Port of Charleston in 1746. And uh, fortunately uh, for me as a researcher, it, you know, he has this uncommon name. Um, he, he arrives as Sustrunk. Uh, and I say that in my very bad German accent, um, and that gets anglicized to cistrunk. Mm-hmm. Well, there aren't a lot of cistrunks in America. So let's stop for a moment so our listeners understand. So Heinrich begot Shadrick. <laughs> no, see, see. I want to make sure I get the, so. Yeah, see, Heinrich is the ancestor of the enslaver Jacob. But see, okay. it's important that I'm able to track Heinrich uh, and his descendants because his descendant, his third generational descendant, Jacob, leads me to, to Francis. Francis. Gotcha. And then from Francis, I can m- make this leap, if you will, to 
um, Shadrick, the father of uh, Francis's son. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the the father of Noah. And so I'm able to tie Francis and Shadrick together uh, because I can fairly easily follow the descendants of Heinrich. Where did you begin to trace Francis? Um, I began with a sheet of paper from my my um, now deceased aunt, uh, Dr. Annie Sistrunk, who um, uh, even though by the time she died, there were computers who still liked typewriters. Mm-hmm. And so she typed out uh, just a sketch of the family history that she knew. And that was my starting point. The last person that she had on there dating back was uh, Shadrick, last two, Shadrick and Susan. So that was my starting point as being able to begin to really look back in time. So Shadrick and Susan were the parents of Noah. And um, even though Noah is this person who is, you know, in in my family looked at as the family patriarch, Mm -hmm. they even knew about Shadrick. He was on the record, but nobody ever talked about him. Shadrick was enslaved? Yes, and and Shadrick was was enslaved. And, you know, and perhaps that's why um, he was dropped from the 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 kind of oral um, uh, account of the mm-hmm. family's history, because um, as your earlier guest mentioned, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of what she called what culture shaming mm-hmm. uh, among African Americans, and so there's always this tendency to want to you know forget the past. You know why are you bringing that up? Um, we don't want to talk about slavery. Yeah. What year? About was Francis born then? Francis was born around 1827, um, you know, and that could be, uh, you know, in the range of uh, like uh, 23, 24, 27. It's about as accurate as I can get it, pinpointed. But she was property in a sense. She was, um, she was, she was property. Um, and when I first encounter her on a census record, it's the 1840 um, census in the household of Jacob Sistrunk Jr. Mm-hmm. And she's the only enslaved person in his household. Uh, she's listed there uh, as a female slave between uh, the ages of 10 to 20. In that sense, they didn't even bother to mm-hmm. give them an age. They were just categorized by age range. There are two Jacobs. Right. There's a, there's a Jacob Jr. Yes, and Jacob Jr. is the one who enslaves um, Francis. And, in fact, Jacob's wealth... Uh, the wealth value that he will accumulate in his lifetime uh, uh, at the dawn of the Civil War is primarily, um, uh, you know, developed out mm-hmm. of the generation of uh, Frances and her children. I want to go back to Heinrich for a moment. How did Heinrich make his way? What was he... Well, Heinrich was a shoemaker by trade. That's what cobbler. Y- yes, <laughs> that's what the record shows. Yeah. And you know, Heinrich. By the time we get to Francis, Heinrich is really out of the picture. But but Heinrich is important to focus on in the narrative because he represents how enslavement becomes um, this central form of of of, you know, capital, if you will, for white people in the country, Mm -hmm. Um, but not only economic capital, uh, cultural capital. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when Heinrich dies in, I think, 1780s, maybe 1760s, he's he's not a plantation lord you know he's on you know he's the first generation here and for what we can tell he makes his living as a shoemaker and you know and 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 just you know raising cat uh, yeah raising cattle mm-hmm. but uh, and so he really doesn't have a need if you will for an enslaved person but in his will 
we uh, or in his list of assets at his death, we see, um, uh, and it's it's written as uh, among his assets is listed a um, a young wench and child, mm-hmm. and that's the name they used, and that's that's the name they use. So he's in possession of a young black woman. And uh, and Winch means young. Mm-hmm. She could have very well been a teenager, probably was, and 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 her young child. How long did it take from the time when you first heard about Francis Sistrunk and to publishing this book? This wasn't a year or two. This took some time. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I, I, I hate to divulge this to people who are interested and enthusiastic and think that it all magically happens. Uh, but, no, it's, it's a lot of work. I, I, I dove into this, and, you know, with all energy um, around 2016. And the book um, was just published uh, in December, yeah. this past December. So it was, uh, it was an immense bit of work. Um, it involved my own um, financial, um, you know, yeah. input at a, at a lot of terms. And a lot of traveling. Uh, yes, yeah. Before I bring um, Althea back into the conversation, because I want her to comment on what she's been hearing, talking about that travel, how does Frances get to, she gets to Georgia, Yes. How? She gets to Georgia uh, in the 1850s, mid, middle part uh, of the 1850s, when her enslaver, Jacob, who is landless, and it seemed, he, he seems to be landless because uh, his, he, at his father's death, they seem to have been in financial strait, mm-hmm. and they end up landless. So, so Jacob is, is, you know, just a, you know, um, he, he's basically a lease farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's in Harris County at that time. And um, so he moves, for whatever reason, to Mississippi. And just as when he moved from Marion County to Harris County, Francis and her, you know, Francis was required to move with him uh, when he decided to pack up and take his family to Mississippi in the 1850s. Uh, Frances and at that time her four children uh, were required to make that move to Mississippi with him. You wrote to some other sistrunks. What were their reaction? That was one of the probably the most interesting aspects of this work um, because I was in contact with both black and white cistrunks and you know I still am I'm kind of you know kind of rolling this that experience through my head uh, because as far as the white cistrunks um, they actually contacted me and it, it, you know, we had some, some very interesting conversations. Um, and probably what I found most profound in that was just the realization that um, there are a lot of us as Americans whose histories go back, um, uh, you know, uh, deep into the country's history uh, who are trying to understand their place in this country mm-hmm. still, black and white. Althea Sumter, I want to bring you back in the conversation. You've been listening to a remarkable conversation here with Professor Elizabeth West. This is a conversation that's not lost on you because you hear these. You've been in this space for so long. Yes, uh, I have, and I, I've made notes. I mean, I'm shaking my head throughout this entire conversation. And, well, a couple of things is that one is that we have to understand that the U.S. population more than doubled in size after 1880s, from 1880s to 1930s. A lot of whites, and this includes every person from every ethnic group around the planet. And so it's not that the entire population in the U.S. can go back, you know, any further than 1880. And, and that, that, um, that within the, 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 the let's say, sla- slavery period of time, during that period of time, there were 
in the South, there are 250,000 free Africans in the South. Mm -hmm. So not every person in this country of African descent was enslaved. Mm -hmm. still came into the U.S. in the U.S. in the 15, 1600s, before 1619, and worked as uh, as, in, uh, as indigenous servants and got their 200 acres after seven uh, years, just like everyone else. And so it is, is a broad spectrum of information yeah. we are also looking at, but whites are included yeah. in the storytelling. Uh, Beyond Kin Project has been a part of uh, you know, these women who started this project where whites are asked to making, bring open your documents so yeah. that we can all find out the information. And I want to be clear for our listeners. I actually have a listener who says that Heinrich was of what ethnic group? Heinrich was German. Okay. He, he was uh, an immigrant uh, from the Zurich area mm -hmm. of uh, um, what, 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 what would that have been? Aust Austria, Germany. Yeah. Wow. What has this, Professor West, um, has there been something cathartic at all or in this process for you? Yeah, and, and, and probably more than I can say in the next few minutes yeah. that, that, that are left, but abs absolutely. Like writing this book, doing this research uh, really helped me uh, tie up some loose ends. And that's both, um, you know, my sense of who I am as an individual, um, uh, but also the sense of who I am as a part of the South, uh, as a part of this country. Uh, when, when, you know, when you can deepen your roots through this kind of research, it, um, it also puts you in a position where you more firmly uh, can claim who you are. It's called Finding Francis, One Family's Journey from Slavery to Freedom, from Georgia State professor and author Elizabeth West, also joined by Althea Sumter, who's a researcher and scholar. Just fascinating stories abound. Thank you, Rose. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, Pat St. Clair, our engineers Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you are interested in finding more about your own ancestry, we'll have links on our website. If you missed even today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.